Hello again, this is the Whamma Art Asylum podcast, the place to explore the wisdom of the arts, spirituality, and the great ideas, and discover meaning and mission in life. I'm your host, Waverly Matthews. Today's guest is painter Carlene Francis. Francis holds a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Painting and Drawing from Rocky Mountain College of Art and Design. She also attended Kendall College of Art and Design in Grand Rapids, Michigan, before moving to Colorado in 1974, where she currently resides. She paints with oil, and her work is inspired by Asian design elements and Eastern philosophy. She applies the Buddhist principle of shunyata, dwelling in emptiness, to her canvases by eliminating the unnecessary so the necessary may speak. Frances has been exhibiting professionally since 1997. Her work has been featured in major national and international exhibitions, too numerous to list here, and her presence in corporate collections is also too numerous to list, but you can see this on her website, carlenefrancis.com. I will mention her art is in three museums for now, because I know that she's eventually gonna be in more than three museums. Flux Museum in Fort Worth, Texas, Museum of Modern Art in Wales, United Kingdom, and the National Museum of Brazil. Her current representation is Space Gallery in Denver, Colorado, Art Squared in Boulder, Colorado, and Globe Fine Art in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Thank you very much for the gift of your time and the gift of your art and your your life, really, for my audience. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you, Waverly. I'm very excited to, to do this with you. I think it'll be really, really fun. Yeah, and I should say that Carlene and I have been friends for several years, but we haven't seen each other really in a while or I haven't talked uh, at too much depth in a little while. And so this is gonna be great to be able to catch up as well. So let's warm up a little with your backstory, okay? Where are you from? And what were some of the pivotal experiences uh, you had growing up? Well, I grew up in Michigan, um, a suburb outside of Detroit. And I attended, after I graduated from high school, I, I attended Kendall School of Art and Design, which is now part of Ferris State College. And after about a year, I decided to get married and we moved to Colorado. And so from there, it went through a lot of different scenarios of marriage and children. And finally, at about 40, I decided I needed to go back to school, finish my degree, and really dive into my art. So that's, yeah, that gives you a little, little background there. Well, when did art first take hold of you? I was a child. Um, I'm dyslexic. I had a learning disability. And growing up, school was difficult for me. Um, and so the art was something I did well, and I enjoyed doing it. So I started at a very young age, just diving into it and loving it and taking it through high school and, and just doing everything that I could possibly try. You know, we would go rip old barn wood off of barns and do paintings on barn wood, anything I could get my hands on to paint. And that's kind of how it started out, as young as probably 10. So you had this desire to be an artist, but then family came along, which was very common, I think. Mm -hmm. And you, my guess is you focused on that and put your art sort of on the shelf. 
Right. Well, my generation, we kind of grew up with a lot of women. You know, that was kind of our role was to get married and have the two kids in the white house and the white picket fence. And for some reason for me, it just wasn't working. I kept feeling like I was a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. And at some point, I realized that I, I had to get back into the art, that that's what fulfilled my soul. That's what I was about, about. And I could balance both. I didn't have to be all or nothing. It didn't have to be all art and no family or, you know, no art and all family. So I learned by the time I was about 40 that I needed to do this. And so I went back to college and started in again. I didn't have much left, but I was going part-time because I was raising children. I was a single parent and I just managed to get through and fill my heart's desire. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that I don't feel artists truly choose their career. I mean, who would choose it? It's not very lucrative. It's so hard. It's really hard to make a living at it full-time. It really is primarily a calling, and that's what most artists express. They say that I had no choice. Right. And, and I, I know a lot of mothers who were artists, called to be artists, and put it aside for a while. That restlessness is there. It must Absolutely. be almost a constant burr in your soul. You know? It is. And I kept thinking, oh, it's the marriage, or it's the person I'm married to, or it was something outside of myself was the problem. But what I realized was that it was me. You know, I was the common denominator. I was the one not following what I was meant to do. And when I finally realized that, then I was able to um, pursue it and, and it changed my whole life. It literally changed my whole life. Mm -hmm. Well, you were finally living and integrity with your soul. Oh, authentically, mm -hmm. living authentically. Well, good. Well, let's get to your art, okay? Now, you're an abstract artist. Um, on your website, uh, well, first of all, let's, let's do this. You're an abstract artist. What uh, is the meaning uh, that you find in, in painting non-objectively, abstractly? Well, why that instead of something that people can recognize? Well, I, I started out as a representational painting painter, not a um, photorealism type of painter, but I painted recognizable objects. And after a while, I got bored with that. It was like, okay, this, this is a great landscape or this is a nice tree or whatever. And I'm not diminishing you know, anyone's desire to do that. But for me, it wasn't enough. It was like, this is my visual voice. I have something to say. And why not say it through my art? And I was challenged to, to be able to take an idea and try to abstractly present it to my viewer and have them understand what I was trying to say. So that's where I started off. And, and I was, you know, dumbfounded at first. I was like, well, how do I do this? And I would sit and stare at a canvas for an hour. What, what, you know? And then, so I started, I've always been into Eastern philosophy. So I started looking up words that were Eastern and um, pretty much Buddhist, a lot of them, and, and Taoism. I loved the idea of Taoism. And 
I started taking these words and thinking like, for one, sage akut. It means serenity in the midst of chaos. And for me, how could I visually, abstractly present that to my viewer? And so that's how I kind of started into the, the idea of abstract work. Was, it was challenging to me. Yeah, I think though that Eastern philosophies and spirituality, I think they do lend themselves more to non-objective type of expression. I, I agree. I totally agree. And so it fit. It, it seemed to fit for what I wanted to do. Um, and it does, it does very much so that. It's, they're very abstract um, ideas. You know, the Buddhists are very, their thoughts. And, and it's not really a religion, but it's um, a philosophy. And it's kind of an abstract philosophy. And so it lent itself, you're right, perfectly to what I wanted to do. Well, I was looking at your website and there is this poem, or at least it reads like a poem mm -hmm. that describes your work so well, and I'd like to read it. It's around us, in us, everywhere. A deluge of sound, language, movement, chaos, endless and overwhelming. And yet in that flood, we reach towards stillness as if by instinct. We move towards silence and light, towards order, simplicity, and balance. In the silence, calm lives, a reflection of our perfect need. In serenity, we reclaim ourselves. So where does this poem, if that's what it is, come from? Well, I have a very, very close friend who is an art collector and we met one day she walked by the gallery and saw one of my paintings and she was just just drawn right in and bought it right there on the spot and and so she contacted me and we started kind of working together and talking she's a writer um her name is lynn biederstad and lovely lovely person and i asked her we were talking about how would you because i love poetry and she writes poetry so i said how would you verbally um, express my work through a poem. And so that was what she came up with, which made my heart sing because that's exactly what my work is. We talked a little bit about it. So she kind of had some ideas, but I really believe that there are, there is a path to serenity. I think we have to be aware that we need to move that way. And so I expressed to her, I thought for myself, um, the three different things that you could use to find serenity, which was balance and um, simplicity and order. And that's how the work developed from there. And so when she would look at the work, she could see that. And I was hoping that I was conveying that message, which she did get. So I was very excited about that. Well, good. That brings me to my next question then. Uh, do you have a practice besides the creative process that takes you to this calm place, this place of serenity? Meaning besides the art? Yes, besides the art. Um, I, I do some meditation, um, not on a regular basis because I, I, it's difficult for me because my brain is always moving. But I try to have a beautiful yard and I sit outside and admire the, you know, the big trees and the birds. I have a bird feeder and I watch the birds. I really like to delve into nature um, because that's where I feel... Um, presence of 
of spirit or whatever you want to call it, God, spirit, whatever. Um, and so that does help me. But honestly, the biggest thing that gets me to that place is creating. Mm. I move into a zone where nothing else exists. You know, it's just me and that canvas and the, and what comes out. So, mm -hmm. but yes, I, I think it's important to find quiet time. I was just being interviewed myself for a podcast earlier today. And we did discuss uh, how people can get into a flow state when they're creating. Artists get in this flow state. And for them, it almost feels like they're channeling something. It's Absolutely. beyond consciousness. It could be something transcended out there. It could be something deep within that they don't have normal access to, but it's mm -hmm. manifesting itself, expressing itself. Right. And that's a spiritual experience. It is totally. And I think I will get done with a piece and I think, how did I do that? Like, where did that come from? How, how did I know that? It's a lot of it's intuitive. And I think our intuition is guided by the soul very much so. And so I always go back to that and think, oh yeah, there it comes, you know, right up through me when I'm at, when I'm quiet, when I'm at peace, it comes through when I'm distracted and caught up in the crazy. I, I can't, I can't feel it. It doesn't work for me. I have to get to that place. And painting actually helps me get to that place. It's crazy, but true. I think painting or any creative process when you're starting writing a song, doing anything new that's novel is an act of faith. Yes. You have to trust something is going to start speaking to you or through you mm -hmm. to fill up that white canvas. Absolutely. It's I have a three-part mantra that I okay. use, and I, I start out and I say, state your intention, trust the process, and let go of the outcome. And I almost always think that when I step up in front of a canvas and I'm doing especially something new, that we, we have to trust. You know, we, we have to know what we're doing. And that's one reason why I have an artist statement, why I have to have content to my work, because I could get, I get lost. If I don't, if I don't know where I'm going, anywhere will take me there. And I need to have that grounded. Okay, this is what I'm doing. And so that's why it's important to state your intention. And then you just have to trust that it will come through you. And then you've got to let go because sometimes they don't work. Sometimes it's a stinker and you go, wow, you know, this, this is a terrible piece, but I've learned from it and I can go on to the next one and, and just keep letting it flow. So that's my little, my little routine that I do before I step up to my canvas. Well, I like it. I think a lot of artists will benefit by copying that routine. Well, when I first met you, you were producing a series of works with the title Enso in them. Would you talk about the meaning of Enso and in particular what it means in your work? Well, Enso is, uh, it's um, Japanese or Chinese. I think it's the same in both language and it means circle. And the circle is a universal symbol of oneness. So in every culture, every culture, the circle means the same thing. Well, what better way to use a symbol that anyone can relate to. And to me, you live, you're born, you live and you die. And that's the whole energy of that circle, that journey that we're on. And it fascinated me. And I thought, how many millions of ways is there to create a circle? It, it sort of shows the millions of different lives that each 
person has in the world. You know, everyone has their own life and the circle is their circle. And that's why a lot of the um, Japanese will say that um, everyone makes their circle different. Their inso is their inso. And many of the great masters, they were known for their circle. And I, it fascinated me. Like a fingerprint almost. Almost. <laughs> we, have a, we have an inner circle within us and it's unique to us. Absolutely. Oh, that's very interesting. Well, you moved on to create another series, Seijaku, which you mentioned earlier, which means tranquility in the midst of daily turmoil. Mm -hmm. Boy, do we need more of that in our life right now. <laughs> Is that your mission through your art to help us find more tranquility? Absolutely. Um, or I, I don't know that it's up to me to tell you as the viewer what you need to do but it's a suggestion. Let's think about it. Let's open our heads up and say, hey, wait a minute, I'm crazed right now. What, how do I get there? I wanna be there. And for me, those are things that have helped me. Simplicity, order, balance. Um, they have been very, very helpful for me. And so, yes, I want to give my audience something to think about other than just beauty or decorative not not i am not um downplaying the fact that all art needs to have an aesthetic value there's nothing wrong with that and if that's what an artist wants to do that's fine but for me it wasn't enough i needed more i needed some kind of voice and that's so that's what i decided and with all of my work you can see that it moved towards that goal. And I feel like now at my age, I, in as many years as I've been doing this, that I've finally found that spot, that really wonderful sweet spot that I can work from. And I'm excited about it. One thing that I find very powerful in your art is that it really is a visual expression of what meditation is. When you meditate, you go from this chaos of thoughts and they start to settle gradually the mm. more you do it until you could find a place of utter stillness. And I almost see that movement in your works. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's interesting because I try not to get esoteric with my work. I, a lot of people are turned off by the, the idea of meditation. Oh, I can't do it, I can't do it. I mean, you hear it a million times. And so I decided not to go that route, not to use that word necessarily, but it absolutely represents that. You are, you are totally right. And it, it's great that you picked that up. I love that, but that is the truth. Well, you are giving the gift of meditation, whether people realize it or not, because they sit there in front of your painting, and if they spend 10 minutes in front of it, they've had a meditation session. <laughs> well, thank you. That's great to hear. Oh, I love it. I gave a tour at the Arvada Center during the Colorado Abstract 10 Plus exhibit, and my group stopped and discussed your work there, which had the floating circles, but also the introduction of vertical lines. Mm -hmm. Okay. You told me once that the circles and lines in that work represented binary code. Would you discuss what inspired you to express such a symbol of technology in your work? Well, I really thought, I really think that work should be relative to what is happening in the world today. It needs to relate to what everybody's relating to. And what, what better thing that 
what everyone has to relate to is technology. Uh, computers and, and the binary code is part of that. That's, that's kind of the whole makeup of it. And I thought, how interesting. Why don't I take that binary code and distort it? Sometimes I actually put it in the background in some pieces so you can actually see the code through the back. But I felt like it was something that maybe people could relate to. They could relate to the fact that, oh, yeah, these computers make me crazy. I love them and I hate them. And blah, blah, blah. and I thought, well, this is a, a really cool opportunity to use something current and try to get people to look at how we can do it differently. Like maybe through the simplicity and the order and the balance is, you know, don't be on your phone every five minutes. Don't be on your computer every five minutes. Take some time out. And so that was how I kind of, you know, got started with the binary code. Mm -hmm. Well, technology does bring a lot of gifts, but it also creates more complexity and chaos and, and data. Absolutely. And it makes it more difficult to find that inner serenity, really. Absolutely. So, another thing about your canvases, they seem to glow. I almost want to look behind them to see if they're backlit or something <laughs> like that. Would you describe your process for achieving this effect or should that be kept a secret? Oh, no, no. I, I have no problem sharing that. I, when I was younger, um, I went to um, the National Gallery in Washington, D.C., and I saw a Vermeer, several Vermeers. I was blown away. They glow. They're beautiful. They're amazing. And I thought, wow, he does that with glazing. And I thought, how can I take this old Dutch master's technique and make it current today? How can I take it to the 21st century? And so what I did was I used his glazing techniques and I just build up layer after layer after layer after layer of thin glazes. And some of them have up to 30, 35 layers. Some don't need as much, depends on the color, but that allows the light to penetrate the paint. It hits the canvas and comes back out. And that's what creates the glow. And you really, it's really difficult to do that with anything but oils because of the oil base in it. Um, it gives you that luminosity where acrylics, it's a little harder to achieve. Well, it's pretty spectacular effect. Okay. I love it. Well, what is the unique something Carlene Francis offers the art loving world? Is it that meditative type experience? Is it uh, the Eastern philosophy? I mean, what, what is it? I, I'm not sure that I can define that completely. I think a lot of it is up to the viewer. I think the viewer completes my work for me um, by looking at the work and experiencing whatever they need to experience. And I learned that a long time ago. I did a piece of art and I <clears throat> had one idea in mind and this young woman came up to me and ex shared an experience that she felt from my work that I absolutely was like, whoa, you know, I never had that in mind. And I thought, it's, I don't want to take that away from her. I don't want to take that away from my viewer. But I would like to also give them little runners. I call them runners, which are little ideas or thoughts that might help them transcend the crazy in the world around them. So that's basically, I don't like to get into defining it too much, but yes, 
it's mm-hmm. it's the meditation it's how we can change our our view of the world and our lives well i also believe that the artwork always means more than the artist intended and that is a part of the revelatory quality i think of art you're just a scribe in other words in a way absolutely and that's another thing i don't name my paintings i i name a series i'll say okay this is sage or whatever or this is the other primary color or something like that just so that i um know the difference between the different series but I do not want to give the viewer anything other than the visual experience. That's it. No name, nothing, just whatever you experience is up to you. And I don't want to influence that too much. That's a great philosophy. I first came across that when I was in graduate school reading John Dewey's art as experience. And he said, described that there's the artwork, the observer, and then this third thing, which happens between the observer Mm -hmm. and the artwork that, becomes a third entity almost. It's something, it's, it's a, uh, the sum is greater than the individual parts, so to right. speak. It's hard to define what that, how, how that is or how it feels. But to me, um, I'm hoping that there is an, it, um, people experience the emotional connection between the work. Um, Rothko was huge on that. You know, his whole thing was, and I'm very much influenced by him because I love the fact that he was more into the emotional aspect. And as you notice, he was a color field painter and I tend to be a color field painter. If you look hard at my work, you can see it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now I want to ask some closing questions. What are some of the biggest challenges, Carlene, you've had to face in order to become an artist? Well, I I have kind of a cool story. Um, I was 40. I had two kids. I was a single parent. I had no money, zero. I was working in a dental office trying to make ends meet, you know, raise two kids on $20,000 a year, you know. Um, And so, but I knew I had to do this. And I again, stated my attention, and I trusted the process, and I let go of the outcome. I went to the college, that Rocky Mountain, and I, they said, great, you're in, you're in. I said, well, I have one problem. I don't have any money. <laughs> and they laughed. They said, well, you and everybody else, right? So they, they took me into the um, financial aid office, and I sat down with this woman, and I looked at her, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't know her. I didn't think. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I used to know a Carlene Smith. I grew up in Michigan and I moved out to Colorado years ago and we used to double date. And I was like, what? You know? And she said, yeah, my name is so-and-so. And I go, oh my gosh, we used to hang out in high school. And she said, well, don't worry about financial aid. I will do whatever is in my power to make sure that you get what you need to get through school. Now, I don't know if you believe in quinky dinks or serendipity or whatever, but I, it was the most amazing thing. And at that moment, I knew I was doing exactly what I was supposed to do because it was there. The support was there. So that's one thing that um, was really wonderful that happened to me through the whole trying to find my way through it all. 
That's a fantastic story. Corey. It was. It was. I, to this day, I still get goosebumps when I think about it. <laughs> well, now let me ask you, what are you most proud of? I would say that part of it is just the tenacity that I decided that I was going to do this and I stuck through it and I'm not kidding. I was not, I didn't get a lot of support because I was 40 years old. People said, Oh, you'll never be able to make a living. It's you're too late in life. And I was like, Nope, I'm doing this. I know it's right. And I'm doing it. And so I'm fairly proud of myself for sticking with it and finally doing what I was meant to do. And that, that was really wonderful. And I have another thing that really was wonderful is I went to Italy. Um, I showed in Italy. I entered a show, uh, Oceanside Art Museum. And the show consisted of um, a museum show at Oceanside, at Riverside um, Art Museum in California, and also Italy. And Alfred Borghese, the Borghese family, if you know anything about art, they're big. And I um, shipped to the town called Frosinone in Italy, and the building was where the Borghese family has their Caravaggio collection. And my painting was in the same building as a Caravaggio, and it was just like the most exciting moment in my life, you know. It was so exciting, and I got to go, and I met wonderful people, and it was one of the most amazing things in my life. That sounds like proud. you knew at that time you had arrived. <laughs> I don't know about arriving, but it was a moment, you know. It was a moment, and that was exciting. Fantastic. What an honor. Well, what would you like to accomplish in the next 12 months, just a year down the road? Um, what did I put down for that? I'm thinking I want to I wanna keep motivated um, because during all of the coronavirus and all the things going on in the country, it's, it's easy to slip out of that mode. I want to stay motivated. I want to find different ways that I can um, communicate with my audience. I'm doing some really exciting things with some plexiglass pieces. I just finished a piece where I'm... Um, I'm putting in um, torn up canvas that looks like a ladder and, and using the idea of climbing out of the chaos. Are we at that point where we're trying to find our way out of the chaos? So just to keep working, just keep doing what I'm doing is my biggest motivation for the next, for the rest of my lifetime. Hopefully I'll be able to paint until I get so old I can't pick up a paintbrush anymore, but. Well, you may have answered my next question. And what do you want to accomplish over the next decade? It's a longer period. You can dream a little bit bigger. Yeah, just to continue the work. Just keep painting and keep showing when I can um, and, and staying connected to my audience. Um, I need that. I need their, their connection. Because to, for me to just paint and put my paintings in my basement is very self-indulgent. It doesn't do anything. Thing for me. I need to put it out there and know I'm making a difference. So that's what I'm trying to do till, till the day I can't do it anymore. <laughs> well, thank you, Carlene, very much. This has been wonderful catching up with you and also being able to share you and your work with my audience. And hopefully my audience will grow and more people will discover you. Well, what's the best way to follow you then and your work? 
Um, I, I have my own website and I have an event section or a, a news section and I usually post everything that I'm doing on that so people can follow me that way. Um, and then through space gallery, through the galleries, of course, you know, they, they put out a lot of information about what artists are doing in their galleries, but best way is through my website. ColleenFrancis.com, right? And yes. Francis is with an E at the end, not an I, right? Yes. It's actually, it's my middle name. Um, there was another Carleen Smith artist here in Denver and everybody used to get us mixed up. So finally I just told her, Hey, I'm dropping my last name and I'm just going to use Carleen Francis. And we chuckled about it for months. So yes, that's Carleen Francis is my middle name. All right. Well, good. Well, listen, you're a real blessing to, oh, thank you. to me and to the art world in this front range community and the places you've shown. You've shown now in New York City and overseas. I'm excited that a broader group of people, uh, art loving people are exposed to your work. Thank you again for being here. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate what you're doing because it's wonderful. We need more people doing things like you're doing. Well, I hope to inspire other people to start yeah. podcasts and- We need art. The world needs art. It really and does. Especially now. It definitely feeds the soul. So. Definitely. Well, that's another episode of the Whamma Art Asylum. Thank you for being here. Uh, as always, keep on creating.